What's good, everyone, and welcome to a brand new edition, episode 18 to be exact, of the Windy City Hoops podcast here for Thursday, February the 6th, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Rouse, coming to you from the 10616 Production Studios in my hometown of Chicago, Illinois. A bit of a pushed back episode of the Windy City Hoops podcast. I was planning on putting this episode out yesterday. But instead decided, you know what, I'll hold it for the trade deadline. I had some other things going on in my life that I had to handle yesterday. So just holding out with today's episode. Going to now get to recording here. Once again, episode 18 of the Witty City Hoops podcast for Thursday, February the 6th, 2020. The Witty City Hoops podcast available on multiple platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, to be exact, at KingRouse21, K-I-N-G-R-O-U-S-E-21. Uh, like I said, a bit of a change of plans. I was going to put this episode out yesterday, but now putting it out here about 15 minutes, 13, as I look at my clock now, 2.13 here in Chicago. So 13 minutes after the NBA trade, dead, trade deadline is going final. I'll talk about the deadline last just to make sure there are no last-minute deals that came in. So that will give me a chance to, throughout the show, check over what's going on in the trade deadline, make sure I got everything ironed out with a lot of the deals that happened today. There were quite a few deals, a number of them. Last I checked, my exact number was around nine trades. I'm, I'm sure there may be more, but last I looked, last I counted, there were at least nine trades that happened in the NBA today. Also, uh, I was planning on doing a trade deadline special later tonight. This will be the trade, day, trade deadline episode, and instead of doing a report on this and, of course, talking about the um, the All-Star Draft, which will happen tonight, I'll talk about the All-Star Draft ne- on next week's full episode. Since ye- the events of yesterday sort of got me all thrown out of whack, I've got to reschedule a bunch of things. Next week, I'll cover the NBA All-Star Draft when I do the full episode of episode 19 of the Windy City Hoops podcast. Won't be able to do it. Anytime in the next few days because I have three Windy City Bulls games, two two Friday and Saturday when they take on the Long Island Nets and Grand Rapids Drive, and then Sunday the Bull, Windy City Bulls take on the main Red Claws. So this will be my trade deadline report, and we will cover that later. And since that's going to be the main event, since the trade deadline will be the main event, so to speak, of this episode, that means we're going to start right here at home talking about the namesake of the show, the Windy City Bulls, Windy City Bulls. We're in action last night against the Delaware Blue Coats, and they ended a five-game losing streak. The streak extended to five last Friday when they lost to the Canton Charge by the score of 123 to 105 in a game where they were down by as many as 31 points. But they got back into the win column yesterday with a 114-103 win over the Philadelphia 76ers NBA G League affiliate, the aforementioned Delaware Blue Coats. But for the Bulls, they had a couple of new additions. Matter of fact, one of them was announced last week on the full episode of the podcast. That was Daniel Dixon, who who is a former William and Mary product. He was a, he's a third third in his third season in the NBA G League. Acquired last Wednesday, as I was recording uh, episode seventeen of the Windy City Hoops podcast. And as a result of signing him, Windy City ended up cutting Dayon Goodman. And Daniel Dixon so far has appeared in two games in his Windy City debut last Friday against Canton. 
had seven points, six rebounds, and three steals on two of eight shooting. Went scoreless in their game last night. Had one rebound, only took one shot, and he, but he only played seven minutes. And despite what the stat line says, said about last night, the thing about Daniel Dixon, this is a player that's averaging 11 points to this point in his NBA G League career, this being his third season. He hadn't been playing in the G League this season, but he's played before for the Northern Arizona Suns and the Maine Red Claws, who the Bulls will see on Monday. But it, what what Dixon brings to the Windy City team is he gives the he gives Windy City someone else that can score off the dribble. He he gives you two guys that are threats on the floor from the wing. When you talk about him and Justin Simon, Justin Simon had 17 points in Windy City's win last night against Delaware. But he's sort of like gonna he's sort of gonna be the backup for Justin Simon. So he's that guy off the bench that can create and get to the rim. He's really good at putting the ball on the deck. And Windy City's gonna need that because what that does. Now, as that allows Milton Doyle to play point guard, play point guard a little bit more, you don't have to put him on the wing. So now you can probably go out there with lineups of Doyle, Justin Simon, and uh, Daniel Dixon, and you have three guys. You you don't lose your driving, and you keep your shooting, you keep your shooting on the strong with Doyle, shoot, shooting on the floor strong with Doyle. Now Dixon was knocking down some outside shots, but he's not exactly the best three point shooter. That's something that he can work on. But I mean, when you're getting wide open looks. I mean, you have more than you. That's what you get in practice. So you have more than enough time to work on that when you go, when you do the pregame shoot arounds, you do the practices. And then the shots he was getting in the game against Canton, he proved that he can knock down some outside shots. And the reason why getting him is important to Milton Doyle playing point is because personally, I don't think PJ Dozier is coming back to Windy City. I'll be surprised if he comes back to Hoffman Estates because the Denver Nuggets, who've made. A couple of trades today. Likely going to need that, need that body in PJ Dozier, who I'm I'm anticipating they will sign him off of an off of the uh, two way contract. Now remember, don't go quote me; they haven't done it. I don't have any inside information or anything, but I'm I the way the way they've traded players and considering what he brings to a team, and he's a guy that I said it was beyond me why he didn't have an NBA contract. I don't think he's going to be making too many more trips back to Hoffman Estates, Illinois, unless it's a financial situation. And with Denver making those trades last night, I just don't I just don't see them sending him back to Windy City as much because they have now they have the bodies and they, they have space for him to roam on the floor now that they've traded Malik Beasley. So I would expect P.J. Dozier to remain with Denver and possibly get signed to a full deal at some point near the end of the season, which probably would end – his amount of which will limit, if not end, his a lot of amount of assignments with the Windy City Bulls. So Daniel Dixon, give, Daniel Dixon, gives Windy City a player that they can now pretty much put at that three or, or put at the two, however Coach Damian Cotter sees it, and allows Milton Doyle to run point. And so far, so far Dixon has proven that he could he could be good as far as scoring off the dribble. Didn't have too much too many touches in last night's game against Delaware, but that's because Windy City made another acquisition. After the Canton game on Saturday, the Windy City Bulls signed Jerron Blossom Game, the former Clemson Tiger. Blossom Game was acquired Saturday from the Rio Grande Valley Vipers in a three-team trade with the Stockton Kings, which sent Jarrell Martin from Stockton to Rio Grande Valley. Meanwhile, the Vipers sent Jerron Blossom Game and the returning Player rights to Kyle Davis, who's currently playing in Argentina, and there's also a local product went to Morgan Park, and the returning player rights to Jonathan Gibson, 
who's currently playing in China, to Windy City. In return, Windy City traded the uh, 2020 G League first-round pick, their 2020 G League first-round pick, and the returning rights to Charles Cook, formerly of the Sioux Falls Sky Force, but is currently playing in Italy. And that he and that 2020 G League first-round pick will be headed to the Stockton Kings. But Jerron Blossom game in his third NBA G League season out of Clemson was a 2017 NBA draft second-round pick of the San Antonio Spurs and a huge addition for Windy City because now they have a guy that is averaging 15 points a game, six rebounds, and he has six double-doubles on the season, a versatile four who is crafty around the rim and is similar to what Windy City had a season ago with Jakar Sampson, a, a four that could face up and score off the dribble, and that will be a good combination because they can now put Jerron Blossom game with Semi Shitu and also with Blossom Game, Windy City now gets a steady dose of what they were getting out of Jared Vanderbilt, who is also likely not coming back. Actually, I'm almost certain won't be coming back to Windy City because he was traded by the Denver Nuggets at the deadline to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So now, if you get Jer- now the Bulls have control, quote, quote, control over Jerron Blossom Game's rights. So now he'll be a part of a Windy City team. That has him at the four, Milton Doyle at the one, and Semi Shitu at the five. So with Blossom Game, you have a player that can score off the dribble, as opposed to Semi Shitu, more of a roll man, more of the more of the traditional back to basket big man for Windy City. Struggles with putting the ball on the floor, even though he has done better putting it on the floor. Has Shitu, but now you get Blossom Game, you get a guy that's more proven when putting the ball on the floor. He has he has been working on his outside shot, but it but numbers numbers show that it needs a lot of work. Twenty one percent from three point land. He's averaging four attempts, but he's making less than one a game. Average. He's point nine made, four point two attempted. Twenty five of one fourteen from three point land. Not a good look by any means. He's um if he misses his next eleven, he'll be he will have missed a hundred three pointers on the season. So for Windy City. Jerron Blossom game gives them a much-needed offensive threat, and it kind of kind of recreates that three-headed monster they had a year ago, that triple-threat offense they had last year with Walt Lemon Jr. as the distributor that could score. Michael Motor was the shooter, and Jakar Sampson, who's now with the Indiana Pacers, was the face-up big man. Now you got Blossom game as your face-up big man. Milton Doyle is sort of a mix of both Motor and uh, Walt Lemon Jr. as he can – he can run the point. He can shoot. He can get to the basket. But then you also have Justin Simon, who is very good at putting the ball on the floor. Needs to work on his outside shot as well. But when given enough touches, he can definitely get to the rim. and He can definitely put pressure with his, on the defense with his, with his athleticism. But going back to Jerron Blossom game, in his Windy City Bulls debut last night, 26.16 rebounds in that game. He had four assists. 11 of 19 from the field. He went 3 of 6 from three-point land, so there's a good sign for the Windy City Bulls. Uh, 42 bench points for Windy City as they beat Delaware. They got 19 out of Trey Darius McCallum and 17 out of Thomas Wilder. And as I mentioned, uh, Justin Simon had 17 points. He had four steals to go with that. She too, Simi She too, 14 points, six assists, four rebounds. Bulls shot 47% from the floor at 45 of 95. And then they went 39% from three, 18 of 46. The 12th win of the season. So now the Bulls move to 12 and game losing streak before they return home to the Sears Center Arena for three straight over this, this next set of days. They take on the 
Long Island Nets tomorrow night. They take on the Grand Rapids Drive on Saturday, and then on Monday they take on the Marion Red Claws, and they will have one last game on the road on Thursday, February the 13th, when they take on the Erie Bayhawks, as that will wrap up the, quote, first half of the season in the NBA G League. I mean, Windy City, to this point, has already played 25 games. It's a 50-game season, so by the time we get to the All-Star break, they'll be past the halfway point of the NBA G League season. Right now, Windy City 13th in the NBA G League's Eastern Conference, and good for them that they will be taking on the opponent right in front of them for the next spot, which is 12th in the Long Island Nets. And so the Bulls will take on the Brooklyn Nets affiliate. So how about that? Windy City chasing Long Island for the 12th spot, which is not not in the playoffs for <laughs> Windy City, but in the Chicago Bulls are chasing the Brooklyn Nets for the uh, eighth spot in the uh, Eastern Conference in the NBA. And then when you look at um, Windy City coming up, I mentioned Milton Doyle. Remember, Milton Doyle missed the game that Windy City had against Grand Rapids, which was two weeks ago. Man, I feel like that was last week, and time is flying by. But two weeks ago, they played Grand Rapids at home, and he was out with an ankle injury. He has been back in the lineup, so that's a great sign for Windy City. Only two points last night on one of eight shooting, 0 for 7 from 3 in 31 minutes, but contributed with eight rebounds, five assists, and two steals, and had a return to form performance in his first game back from that ankle injury did Milton Doyle against Canton. Despite the 18-point defeat, Milton Doyle did have 24 points and eight assists, eight of 15 from the field, seven of 12 from three-point land, one of one from the foul line, had 35 in 35 minutes against Canton. Uh, off performance last night, but I think it was more so because of Jerron Blossom game. Windy City really trying to get used to him on the floor. And actually, how could you, how could you not? I mean, just like I said, a versatile defender, a player that can put the ball on the deck, a versatile player, period, because of how he can put the ball on the floor, someone that can guard two or three positions for you in Windy City because he's 6'6", and he's so long and athletic. And then also a player that can crash the glass much the same as they got out of Jared Vanderbilt, much the same in the way they had Jakar Sampson at Windy City a year ago, someone that could put the ball on the floor, step back and knock down some shots from the mid-range game. He's working on his three, but now Windy City has a much, a much, I guess, much more assured score, much, a player that could be much more confident in, much more confident in putting the ball on the floor as opposed to with Simi Shitu who we all know is a work in progress, but it is getting better with him as well. Just now, Blossom Game is probably the better choice to put the ball on the deck for now as Windy City moves forward, trying to make some make some noise and make a bit of a run to get back into the uh, NBA G League playoff hunt. Right now, four games back of the eighth, the sixth and final spot in the East. I'm thinking NBA already. <laughs> Windy City much right now, six game, four games back of the uh, Grand Rapids drive for that sixth and final playoff spot. They'll play Grand Rapids on Saturday. Grand Rapids 17-14, and 14. Windy City 12-17. and 17. But right now, Windy City needs to be worried about the Long Island Nets. They'll be playing them tomorrow. We'll have that game for you on SportstownChicago.com. It'll be myself, Ryan Fahey, and Jonathan Hood on the call. Or you can watch it on NBC Sports Chicago with Julio Rauseo and Mark Shinowski. Windy City did beat. Long Island earlier this year, 107-87 back on November the 17th. That game was played in New York. So there, this will be the second meeting of the year as Windy City 
once again trying to make some more make some more moves make some noise and get back into the NBA G League's playoff picture kind of moving kind of moving fast today with this episode of the Windy City Hoops podcast got a lot going on I'm actually booked right after this as soon as I finish recording this I'm headed right out to go uh work the uh, UIC basketball game that I'm going to be doing tonight you know I do production for UIC as well I've been at DePaul as you all know and Got some plans coming up that I explain to you guys next week as well for All-Star Weekend. But moving forward, we're going to talk about the Chicago Bulls who have not played since Super Bowl Sunday when they lost at the hands of the Toronto Raptors, 129-102. to uh, At the time, that was the Raptors' 11th straight win. And the Raptors have since set a new franchise record of 12 straight wins with their win over the Indiana Pacers. Last night at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. But for Windy City, the f- the first loss they had on Friday was at the hands of the Brooklyn Nets, 133-118. to Kyrie Irving with a 54-point, 5-rebound, 5-assist performance, and he shot 19 of 23 from the field, 7 of 9 from three-point land. Former Windy City Bulls Spencer Dinwiddie had 20 points and 7 assists in that ball game. Six Bulls were in double figures, including Zach Levine, who had 22 points. Luke Cornett had 19, but it was not enough to combat the performance that Kyrie Irving had. And um, you get the feeling that that was for Kyrie, that was a game to honor Kobe Bryant. We all know how close he was with Kobe Bryant. So so close, in fact, that Kyrie couldn't even play the game against the uh, New York Knicks, which actually happened early last week, uh, immediately after the uh, death of Kobe Bryant. So Kyrie Irving sort of sort of uh, pulled out the Mamba mentality, and unfortunately for the Bulls, they were on the other end of that, and the Nets ended up with the win, gaining some room, gaining some ground on the Chicago Bulls for that uh, eighth and final playoff spot. As we look at the standings now, Brooklyn has since moved into seventh. They are 23-27 and 27 on the season, have a five-game lead on the Bulls. The Bulls are right now three-and-a-half back of the Orlando Magic who are 22 and 29 at the time of this recording. And then, of course, we talked about how the Bulls would go on to lose to the Toronto Raptors. But the big story for the Bulls wasn't really the losses on the floor. Well, the losses in the score, because there were losses on the floor, specifically injuries to guys like Chris Dunn. Just when the bull, just like, just when it looked like the Bulls were going to start getting some players back, one player returns, one goes down. Daniel Gafford returned in the game on Sunday against the Toronto Raptors, but on Friday against the Brooklyn Nets, Chris Dunn went down 13 seconds in after um, Thaddeus Young took a charge. He took the charge. He got knocked down. He got knocked right back into Chris Dunn's knee, and Chris Dunn sprained his right knee, and as a result, Dunn will be out. As a result, he'll be out two weeks with that knee injury. Chris Dunn, to that point, to the, up until Sunday's game, had played in every Chicago Bulls game this season. And that's quite the loss for Chicago because the Bulls ended up losing arguably their best perimeter defender in Chris Dunn. I mean, he leads the team in steals with two per game. He's a guy that, I, when I heard Stacey King say he deserves consideration for all defensive team, I totally agreed with. Considering the Bulls are one of the top teams in the league in steals, but they lose, they lose, but they're going to lose Chris Dunn for two weeks. The uh, silver lining, if you had to find one in this, is that Chris Dunn will be out for the All Star break, so really won't be missing too many games. He'll miss 
He, he missed Toronto. He'll miss tonight against New Orleans. And then he'll miss the games that they'll have next week when they take on Philadelphia and Washington. So as of right now, looking like Chris Dunn is only going to miss four ball games. And then should he return as planned on schedule, he could be back in time for the Charlotte game on Thursday, February the 20th. And then, and then if not that, he could be back in time for the game against the uh, Phoenix Suns on Saturday, February the 22nd. So Chris Dunn, if you had to pick a time for him to get hurt, this would be the time where you would want, it, want him to go down because Chicago's at a point, the Bulls are at a point now where they need everybody possible in the lineup. I mean, they lose Chris Dunn. Daniel Gafford returned, but Daniel Gafford only played nine minutes after missing nine games with the dislocated thumb. And the one silver one silver lining on the floor for the Bulls is that now with Chris Dunn going out, they actually finally have they finally have to start a three in his spot. Because the Bulls have been starting these three guard lineups with Sadoransky and Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. Now Chandler Hutchison, who had a huge game against the um the Indiana Pacers last week. And as I just got some word, which is exactly why, which is exactly why I'm waiting to talk about the deadline. I just got the notification that the Clippers are not going to keep Isaiah Thomas, but we'll have more. I have more information on that trade in just a moment. That's exactly why I wanted to wait to talk about the deadline. I did not want anything new breaking while I was in the middle of talking about a subject or had already passed it. But coming, but going back to the Bulls, Chandler Hutchinson had a big game against Indiana, and then he had 17 points. Five rebounds in the game on Sunday against Toronto, 5 of 13 from the field. So now the Bulls, you're possibly getting a glimpse of the future because we know we know Chris Dunn is on the last year of his deal. He obviously was not traded at the deadline because he's out with that uh, MCL spring. But now the Bulls could get a glimpse for the future because ideally in two years, you're talking about the Bulls starting a lineup of Zach Levine at the two. Kobe White ideally would be your starting point guard. By the time by by in, in about two years, you get Chandler Hutchinson at the three, Lowry Markinen, who's also out with injuries. Say he say he continues to say he can turn it around and he can progress. He'll be your starting four, and then Wendell Carter will be your starting five. And the sad thing in all of this is that out of those five guys I just named, <laughs> two of them aren't even active right now because of injury, and Chandler Hutchinson has had his injury problems as well. So, if the Bulls could stay healthy. Getting Chandler Hutchinson into the starting role right now could definitely be a glimpse into the future, and it also puts him back into where I feel he's more natural, a more natural guy at the three when he's starting and he's getting his touches at Boise State. Once again, he was the man at Boise State, averaging 20 points a game, seven rebounds, three assists because he was getting the touches. Of course, at the NBA level, that was going to go down, which is what happened to him last season. There were a number of times where you can see him just – excited to get up shots because he probably it looked like because he knew I'm probably not getting too many more touches so if I get it now I got to take the shot so now you put him at the three you get him a little bit more used to playing with Zach Levine you also can now what Jim Boylan likes to say you can you can learn you can develop you can grow now you can really do that with Chandler Hutchinson you can teach him how to play the three you can teach him how to play with Zach Levine you could teach him now to be the number two option considering that Lowry Markinen is out and then you're going to have to pretty much go back through a readjustment period when Lowry returns and it's Zach Levine, Hutchinson, and Lowry marketing. And then you can have Hutchinson sort of learn how to take that third chair or 
with the way Lowry's been playing because he's been so inconsistent, this could be Chandler Hutchinson's opportunity to prove that, hey, I'm the number two guy on this team. I don't, I don't see him dethroning Zach Levine, quote. You know, I don't see him, quote, dethroning Zach Levine as the number one option, but he can definitely prove his worth to this team moving forward in that as the starting three in the event that, of course, you know, the Bulls don't re-sign Otto Porter after they don't resign Otto Porter after next season because I have no at this point I have no doubt in my mind he's taking that uh he's taking that big player option that he's got coming up next season. So Chandler Hutchinson could be in a position where he'll be probably in in his fourth season could be the Bulls starting three in place of Otto Porter Jr. Unless of course Otto decides not to take the player option or if the Bulls can find some way to move him next season. I was talking about the Bulls' injuries this season. I keep mentioning how now they've lost Chris Dunn. They did get Daniel Gafford back, and that was a huge return for the Bulls to get Gafford back because, I mean, they've really missed his presence with Luke Cornett. Luke Cornett really getting pushed around by other opposing interior forces on the low block. And now with Gafford back, you can limit stretches where you put Cornett at that five. Also with Gafford, I mean, the Bulls really missed his talent on the defensive end. I mean, the tenacity, the motor and effort that this guy gives you running the floor, sort of like what we talked about with Simi Shitu uh, with uh, Windy City, being a role man for Windy City, his, for uh, Chicago, rather with Daniel Gafford, being a role man, just every, he does everything aggressive, that energy, that offensive spark that he provides. The Bulls have definitely missed that, and now that they, they have him back in the lineup, he could be effective again for this team. Uh, remember, only nine minutes. I expect that to go up as we get closer to the All-Star break. And would expect him to probably get more minutes to, in tonight's game as they take on the New Orleans Pelicans. They'll be going up against the guy that I still don't know who's more uh, ferocious around the rim, uh, Daniel Gafford or Jackson Hayes. But that very well could uh, <laughs> that, that could very well be settled going into tonight's ball game when the Bulls take on the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. But one thing for the Bulls, man, they've really been struggling with the with that injury bug, and it's really it's really been the Bulls. The Bulls right now, 135 man games missed this season. That's 12th most of the 30 teams in the league. Uh, the Warriors have more with 258 right now, but you gotta expect that that number will continue to climb for the Bulls because you're talking about Wendell Carter being out, Chris Dunn, Lowry marketing. Like Otto Porter and that Otto Porter, who I didn't even mention, that's four guys right there that are already gonna. That's four guys that will miss that will be missing games at least for the next two weeks. I mean, Otto Porter, he he's missed forty three games with that left foot fracture. Uh, Chandler Hutchison this season, he's missed twenty six himself. Markin has only missed five, but he's still gonna be he's still scheduled to be out until early March. And when you look at the injuries, it's just, man, it's really taking a toll on this Bulls team. And this is one area where I feel, I sort of feel for Jim Boylan. I know a lot of fans in the area are not fan. a lot of Bulls fans are not happy with Jim Boylan as their coach. But here's one, this is one of those areas where I actually kind of feel for him. You know how he always says, we'll learn, we'll, do, we'll learn, we'll develop, we'll grow, we'll do this, we'll do that the next game. But it's hard to develop guys that are out and it's not as bad as it was last year when the Bulls had 27 man games missed, 27, 277 man games missed, and they had the fifth most in the league. But when you got Otto Porter, a 3 and D guy, your starting three, third best shot creator, who averages 11 points a game, fourth on the team in scoring, 
when he's out missing 43 games. Chandler Hutchinson, who you now who you now have time to try to get him back in the lineup, is good. You, but when he's missed games like he has, Wendell Carter, Wendell Carter Jr. has missed 26 games this season. So with you got Chandler Hutchinson and Wendell Carter both missing time. Carter out with a severe ankle sprain, expected to be out up until February the 20th when they take on the um, Charlotte Hornets. Carter's missed 14 games. Chandler Hutchins has missed 26. Cristiano Felicio has missed 25. Daniel Gafford's missed nine. Larry Markkinen's missed five games, and he's he's expected to miss up until early March based on the four- to six-week timetable that was given when he went out with the the right pelvis stress stress reaction. Luke Cornett's missed five. Archie Diakonos missed four. You know, and then Harrison and Chris Dunn have both missed one. And now we know Dunn will be out for two weeks. It's really hard to get a young team going in the right direction when they're not active on the floor. You can't really get a feel for the combinations. You can't really get a feel for where you want to put guys in the rotation. But at the end of the day, you still have to make adjustments. And you still have to figure out, okay, well, this is what I have. You still got to put guys in the best position to succeed. Now, a lot of people argue that even when those guys are healthy, Jim Boylan hasn't done that this season. And in some scenarios, it will be hard. It would be hard to disagree with that. I mean, Denzel Valentine, a guy who's been playing playing well in some stretches this season, and he's racking up a lot of DM, DNPs, a guy that can shoot the ball well in his team that could definitely be useful to this Bulls team, not even getting minutes on the floor. So there is, there is something to be said about Jim Boylan still not really putting guys in the best position to succeed, but for a lot of these younger players, when you're talking about Carter, Hutchison, even though Hutchison is back, don't get me wrong, Carter, Markkinen, and then Hutchison when he's out, and then Otto Porter, who they were going to try to um, play the load management game with anyway. When those guys aren't on the floor, it's really hard to figure out where to use people, really hard to help them develop. It's really hard <laughs> to help them grow. and So I do feel for him in that aspect. But the injury bug has really bitten the Bulls this season, and they are 19-33. and They've had a lot of games where they've blown leads, which – which is not a not at ex, not at all the fault of the injury bug, but at the same time, every team goes through something throughout the regular season. Even right now, the Philadelphia 76ers, sixth in the East, talking about they got locker room problems. Every team goes through something, so you got you still got to get out there. You still got to get out there and compete. You got to battle, and for the Chicago team, injuries have really taken a toll on them. And there's been a lot of hope that they may make some moves at the trade deadline, which has now since passed. And not really a surprise to me, the Bulls didn't make any moves at the trade deadline. And personally, like I said, I'm not even surprised about it because I feel like those injuries put the Bulls in a tough spot because it put them in a tough spot. Do you hold on? Do you hold out hope for a playoff spot with the guys that you have? You Do you wait till all of these guys done marketing Carter, Porter, do you wait till they come back and try to make a run for the playoffs? Or do you look to move guys like Thaddeus Young and Denzel Valentine? Well, unfortunately for the Bulls, because of the injuries, really couldn't move those guys because they needed those they need those bodies in the lineup, just, really just to field a quality team on the court most nights, because especially with Thaddeus Young, who I think has really played well. I remember he had that month where he was shooting poorly but as of late has been the Bulls' best interior offensive weapon with Wendell Carter out and now with Larry Markkinen out. You need Denzel Valentine, even though Jim Boylan has been hesitant to play him some nights. You need his shooting. You need him at that three. You need him to back up Chandler Hutchison. 
And then Chris Dunn, who everyone thought would have been moved possibly last season, a lot of people thought he wasn't even going to make it to camp. They couldn't move him because he's out with the MCL spring. So the Bulls really had to really had to stay pat with what they had. And they did not move Thaddeus Young because it was rumored Thaddeus Young was being eyed by the Clippers since, like, December. That didn't happen. They did not move Denzel Valentine to the Sixers. That was one of the rumored trades. That didn't happen. That didn't happen either. So the Bulls hold their ground in terms of the roster, and they don't make a move for the for the NBA trade deadline. And honestly, the Bulls are just in a position where you get the feeling that they're just in the Bulls are just in basketball purgatory right now. I mean, you're talking. You, I mean, if you trade, if if the Bulls would have made moves at the deadline. Like trading players, pretty much would have made made this season that was supposed to be a step forward a lost cause. Like I said, they couldn't trade Thaddeus Young because they needed him to be an interior presence in place of Wendell Carter and Lowry Marketing. Now they're both out with injuries, and then also if you would have traded Thaddeus Young, that would have admitted that the big because remember Thaddeus Young was supposedly the big acquisition that the Bulls made in the free agency. That would have basically admitted that that really wasn't a good pickup or if or if it was a good pickup they would have really had to get something in return like a first round pick or get get another player that they feel like they can use as a building block but if they would have traded Thaddeus Young that would have made last summer look like a waste and going to get him dropping the uh, 41 million that they put out on him last season they would have kind of really would have looked like they wasted a move there as opposed to if they would have just got him and uh, kept him and used him to develop Lowry and Wendell Carter like they initially planned to do when they got him last summer. And for the Bulls moving forward, staying staying pat at the deadline sort of indicates the, to me it indicates the importance of making the playoffs. Because it, it, it's, like you, it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for the Bulls because if you make the playoffs, yes, it shows the progression. It shows the we'll do, it will learn, we'll develop, we'll grow. It'll show that it shows that on the court. But in all honesty, you're likely running into the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round as an eight seed. You're likely playing Milwaukee, who's forty three and seven. You're likely going to be in there for four games, maybe five if you can get one at home, and then you're going home. And it's just a tough position for the Bulls because it's like, yes, hey, if you make the playoffs, it shows development, but you're only in there for four games. If you miss the playoffs, it's just it's just more of what's been what more of the same that's been occurring the last two years. And it doesn't really show and and from the outside looking in to a lot of fans, it doesn't really show development on the court. It shows, okay, well we're still bad, especially with this team, it shows a step back because they were expected to make a leap forward. I mean twenty two and sixty last year, they're on pace to pass that. But in order to make the playoffs, I'm thinking this Bulls team need I, coming in. I even said I thought this Bulls team was going to need 36 games, 36 wins, and if they played at a 500 clip, they they will need. If they played at a 500 clip, which is kind of unrealistic, they're on pace for 35 wins. But when you look at what's going on with the Bulls at the end of the season, I mean, 16 of the Bulls' final 30 games this season are against teams with 500 records or better. The Bulls this season are three and twenty against teams that are currently five hundred, but they really only have one win against a five hundred team. The Grizzlies, the Grizzlies are above five hundred now, but when they played the Bulls, the Bulls, the Bulls beat them back in the second game of the season, and then they beat them in December. Memphis was not a five hundred team 
when they played those two when they played in those two meetings and even even the win that the Bulls did have against a 500 team in the Clippers the Clippers were without like four of their key rotation players they had no Kawhi Leonard they had no Lou Williams they didn't have Patrick Beverly so so it was like it, it, that one comes with an asterisk and so for me like I've been saying they needed I, I predicted the Bulls would be a 36 win team they're going to need about 38 to make 36 or 38 to make the playoffs at this rate with the way Orlando and Brooklyn have also been playing as of late. And, of course, Brooklyn now without Kyrie Irving. So now it's a matter of can the Bulls try to eke out that 500 pace, which is honestly not, like I said, not very realistic with injuries. And then, of course, you got 16 games against you got 16 games against teams above 500. And then on top of that, you still got games against teams that are under 500 that are still contending. You got two, two against Brooklyn, two against Orlando, two against Phoenix, and then you got one more against San Antonio, which is on March 20th, which I've been saying all along. You can even go back to the episode I did on New Year's Day that I think that that's going to be the stretch of the year that defines this Bulls season. I think that it might be the stretch where the Bulls are eliminated because they have in their final 13 games from March 20th to the end of the year, eight of those games are against plus 500 teams, mostly in the Western Conference. So for the Bulls, they really they're really gonna have to really have to drive home that let's play at 500, that 500 clip the rest of the year. But really, the Bulls need a huge winning streak, and right now, with all of the injuries that they have, it's really gonna be a tough task for this Chicago Bulls team to make it into the playoffs this year. Even though they do have a shot, but they absolutely positively. Those four games against Brooklyn and Orlando, they have to take those. You got to look at it like this. Brooklyn has beaten them twice. They lost to Orlando back in December right before Christmas. Bulls have to turn. They have to turn the tide right relatively. They have to turn the tide right now if they're going to have a hope at getting to the playoffs. Tonight, they take on the New Orleans Pelicans. Sunday, they get the Philadelphia 76ers. And Tuesday, they beat the, they, they uh, meet the Wizards at Washington, who they beat back in December, and then out of the All-Star break, they play the Charlotte Hornets, who they've lost two of the previous three meetings meetings to this season. If the Bulls really want to turn it around, they really got to start with a 3-4, three and 3-1 three, three and one record in these next four games, these three going into the All-Star break, and then, of course, the one on Thursday coming out of the All-Star break. If, if those four games will be key for, for the Chicago Bulls. Can they find a way to get three wins and turn around and to help turn around their season and make a run to the 2020 NBA playoffs. All right, elsewhere in the NBA, there was there was a lot of other news. I'm really going to kind of just gloss over this real quick because, like I said, I gotta I gotta get try to get out of here, but I also want to cover everything I want to cover on the uh, trade deadline. Uh, the New York Knicks, <laughs> the New York Knicks fired uh, Steve Mills. He was the president the other day. And the Knicks, I mean, a 15 to 36 team at the time he was fired, which was on Tuesday. They announced that Scott Perry would take over as president. And I remember thinking when I saw that the Knicks fired Steve Mills, I was I remember thinking, I think Knicks fans want more than that, because you got to remember last Wednesday, they had the game against the Memphis Grizzlies, where the Grizzlies won by 21. And Alfred Alfred Payton had that hard foul on Jay Crowder, who's at the moment no longer a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. But he pushed him. He just outright shoved him, and Peyton ended up getting suspended. But the fans in the garden ended up chanting with the "Sell the team" chant, "Sell the team, sell the team." <laughs> and I just, 
I just remember thinking that, um, yeah, I think firing the president, I think the fans want more than that. I mean, when you got when you got arguably the most the world's most famous arena chanting sell the team at the the team that is the home at the home team, that's not a good look <laughs> for the New York Knicks. And uh after that it was reported that James Dolan was eyeing Masai Ujiri, the president of the Toronto Raptors, but the problem with that was Yusai Ujiri Masai Ujiri is under contract through next season, the 2020-2021 season with the Toronto Raptors. So today the Knicks went out and they hired Leon Rose of Creative Artists, the Creative Artists Creative Artists Agency. I can't talk today. I don't know what's going on. This was reported earlier by Ian Begley of Sportsnet New York and Leon Rose, an agent, he represents Joel Embiid, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, Carmelo Anthony, and Kyle Kuzma. And based on what Frank Isola said on Twitter, he is very close with some guys that uh, the Knicks could be eyeing as coaching candidates to replace Mike Miller at the end of the season. Uh, here's what Frank Isola said on Twitter, quote, FYI, Leon Rose, besides being Carmelo and Carmelo's agent, is very close with Jeff Van Gundy, Tom Thibodeau, and Mark Jackson, parentheses, bring the whole gang back, end quote. And honestly, if that's the case, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mark Jackson get hired by the New York Knicks. I mean, for Leon, for Leon Rose to come in and to have a relationship with Mark Jackson, I mean, Mark Jackson is a guy that I thought the Knicks would have hired before they went and got David Fisdale. Mark Jackson is a guy that selfishly I wanted the Chicago Bulls to go after but but there's this thing I don't I, I can't quite remember what exactly the rumor is why teams won't hire Mark Jackson but there's been this rumor that teams just don't want to hire Mark Jackson but if you get Leon Rose in there and he has a you, you got Leon Rose in there and he has a he has a relationship with Mark Jackson and he knows Mark Jackson as a former player he knows him very well as a person and he understands what, what what's been going on with Mark Jackson behind the scenes and you get, and he, of course, you know Mark Jackson was a former player. You know his love for Knicks basketball, being a New Yorker. It 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 wouldn't surprise me one bit to see Mark Jackson, a guy who really laid the foundation for what we saw with the Golden State Warriors, talking about with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, really helped them grow to become the players that they later would be, and then eventually become NBA champions when Steve Kerr was the head man in Golden State. It wouldn't surprise me to see Mark Jackson come in there and they think that he could do the same things with the New York Knicks that he did with the Golden State Warriors. And on top of that, with uh, now with Leon Rose coming in and it, with Leon Rose coming in, now you can start to see more of a change in vision for the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks in the offseason, really a disappointing offseason. I'm not, I'm not even a Knicks fan, but just just as an observer, just just as an objective observer, I really didn't understand what the Knicks were doing in the offseason. I mean, they they, they sound what about they sound about seventy eight thousand points. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. They sound about what five or six power forwards, and then five point guards, and then R.J. Barrett. It was like just so many guys that do the same thing. It it really looked like the Knicks just didn't know what they were going to do. They did get a good pickup in Julius Randle. I thought I thought Bobby Portis was a good addition, but it was just it got to a point where they started just signing power forwards: Taj Gibson, Marcus Morris. Then they had Dennis Smith. They they got they had Dennis Smith from last year. They had Frank Needle Needle Aquina, and then 
They added all of these guys, all of these guys that pretty much do the same thing. Alfred Payton. It's like too many, too many point guards, too many power forwards. So now for the Knicks, when Leon Rose really gets settled in, you could possibly see start possibly seeing some change for the Knicks. Remember this this is the this is a signing that's gonna take some time to really bear any fruit for the Knicks. I mean I mean Rome wasn't built in the day. So time will tell. But for the Knicks moving forward, they at least now get a get a new voice in there. They get a new head in there. And maybe we'll start seeing some changes with the Knicks moving forward. And to me, I don't I, – and by the way, I know I'm a Bulls fan, but I don't hate the Knicks. For me, the thing about me, I don't hate the Knicks and I don't hate the Pistons because when I was a kid, we owned them. The Bulls owned those teams. <laughs> like, they would beat the Knicks every year. They would beat the Pistons. Like, the Pistons weren't really good even when they had Grant Hill – they would be a playoff team, but they were never really a threat to the Bulls. So I never really, I never really hated like the Knicks or the Pistons. So I'm one of those people that actually likes to see when the Knicks are in the playoffs, just because I like to see when the Bulls, Celtics, Knicks, Sixers, and Lakers is like the five, like the five Mount Rushmore franchises. I'm, and I know I'm leaving the Spurs out, but the Spurs have never been bad. Like they haven't really been bad. I know they had the one year when they missed the playoffs in '97, but because of David Robinson having injuries, but they were right back in it. But it's like those those five franchises are like the, the Mount Rushmore of like great franchises. And then, of course, you can't leave the Spurs out in terms of what they accomplished. And now the Warriors are starting to climb into it for this generation. But those five franchises, the Bulls, the Knicks, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Sixers, they're like the, the, the five Mount Rushmore historic teams in the league. And, yes, I know, yes, I know Mount Rushmore has – Four, it's only four, I know, but <laughs> but I still think those are the like the five landmark franchises in the NBA, in my opinion. When we talk, when you mention NBA, those those five those five franchises are what I think of as the landmark franchises of the NBA. Moving forward now, Damian Lillard. Hard to talk about. Hard hard to do a podcast without talking about Damian Lillard, man. Uh, Damian Lillard is one of my favorite players in the league. And Damian Lillard has been on an absolute tear this season. And personally, last year, I used to have arguments on Facebook. I said I thought Damian Lillard was the best point guard in the league up until I saw the um, series against Denver. That just, just, just strictly talking about last season, I thought he was the best point guard in the year in the league last season, in front of Kyrie Irving and then uh, Steph Curry. And yes, Steph Curry is still a great player, don't get me wrong, but I thought last season was more so, it was more about Kevin Durant and more about the total team effort, and I know Steph, I think, led the team in scoring last year, but I always felt like Kevin Durant would do, Kevin Durant and the rest of those guys would do a lot of the work, and then Steph would knock down some late game shots, and then his stats would be padded, because of course he's Steph, he's knocking down his shots, but it, but to me, I just thought Damian Lillard really had a much better season last year overall, and I think Steph benefited from a lot of the help he had, but that's not what the point this but anyway, that's a point for another matter. But this year, Damian Lillard right now has is playing his way into the MVP conversation. Since MLK Day back on January the 20th, 44 points, 10 assists, and six rebounds. Yes, he's averaging that in the in the games since. In that stretch, the um in that stretch, the Blazers are five and two. They lost to Denver on Tuesday. And then they have wins over the Warriors, the Pacers, the Rockets, the Jazz, and then, of course, they have the road win at L.A. in that emotional game against the Lakers, you know, and they did the uh, Kobe Bryant tribute prior to the game. But Damian Lillard is really playing his way into the MVP conversation, shooting 
54% from three and 92% from the free throw line. So right now at this point, 44 points, 10 assists, six rebounds, and he's well into the 50-40-90 club at 52%, 54% from three and 92% from the foul line. And really trying to save the Trailblazers' season right now. I mean, they did lose, and he was cooled off in the Rocky Mountains when they took on Denver. Only 21 points and nine assists on eight of 23 shooting. But Portland's really hanging in there right now. Trying to, he, they're trying to save their season. They're 23 and eight as we speak. Currently ninth in the West, a full three games back of the Memphis Grizzlies. And and coming into the season, I thought Damian Lillard was he was one of my favorites to be the MVP. But right now, like, he was one of my favorites with Joel Embiid, Giannis, and Nikola Jokic. And so far, I got the Giannis one right because I think Giannis right now is going to read. I think he's going to repeat as the league MVP. And what with Lillard's play as of late, he's playing himself into the conversation. He's still, he's still an outside candidate behind Giannis and Luka Doncic. Statistically, James Harden is an MVP threat. And then I know if, if there are any Laker fans listening, what about LeBron or Anthony Davis? I think they cancel each other out because they're both so good. But the thing about Damian Lillard's bid for MVP, it's just going to be tough to dethrone Giannis, especially with the way he's been playing and the the season Milwaukee is having at forty three and seven. I still think Milwaukee could be on. I think I still think it's possible Milwaukee could be a seventy win team, not a not a seventy four win. Not to say they're going to break the break the uh, Warriors record or anything because they would have to lose just one game the rest of the way to do that. But I still think you could see the you could possibly see the Bucks sneak in, maybe win seventy, go seventy and twelve or something like that. I mean, they they've had a number of winning streaks this season. They had the the uh, 18 game win streak they had uh, earlier this year. They had another win streak that just ended last week. And on top of that, it's just going to be tough to it's going to be tough to dethrone Giannis. But for Damian Lillard, for Portland, it's this simple: no playoffs, no MVP for Damian Lillard. I mean, it's almost like that year where Steph Curry won MVP. And Russell Westbrook had it. He had. I thought he had a case, but if OKC didn't make it, he wasn't getting it. Like he, it was gonna be tough for him to get, get it that year when they didn't have Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was out with the uh, foot injury, and Russell Westbrook was putting the team on his back. But it, it was gonna be tough to do it if he didn't make the playoffs. OKC ended up missing the playoffs that year, and then Steph Curry, of course, did go on to win MVP. That was a year where Russell Westbrook really lit it up for the Thunder. I think he, I think that was the year he had 23 what 20 what is it 28 points, 8 assists and 7 rebounds. I'm, see I'm mi- I'm mixing up my year. I can't remember if that was 2015 or 2016 with the uh, Russell Westbrook. That would have been that would have been 15. That was the year they went 45 and 37. And that yeah, that was the year he had 20 he led the league in scoring at 28 points, 8 assists and 7 rebounds. But once again, no playoffs, no MVP and that's where Damian Lillard is at. And even if they get into the playoffs, it's really going to take like a run into one of those top three or four seeds for him to even have a shot at it. And then on top of that, it's going to take Milwaukee to have a big losing streak to really like help the numbers for Damian Lillard to get in. Because at this rate, Milwaukee playing at a historic pace, really going to be tough to dethrone Giannis Antetokounmpo as the uh, MVP. And And right now, before I even get to the end of the month and get to tell you guys my award tracker. I still got Giannis Antetokounmpo as my favorite to win league MVP right now. All right, I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible now. 
as we go over the NBA trade deadline, there were a number of trades. Like I said earlier, last I looked, there were at least nine. But here were some of the big-name deals that went down today. This tr- There was a trade between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors today. The Warriors ended up getting Andrew Wiggins, a 2021 top, third, top three first-round pick and a 2022 second-round pick from the Minnesota Timberwolves in exchange for D'Angelo Russell, Jacob Evans, and Omari Spellman. And that was a big trade for Minnesota because that's been the big rumor the last few months. They're trying to get Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell on the same team. They, The mission finally accomplished that they trade the former first-round pick, Andrew Wiggins, to Golden State in order to do that. Uh, originally, this trade had broken down earlier in the week because the Warriors and Timberwolves were going to be a part of a four-team deal with Atlanta and Houston, that deal ended up happening, but with other teams involved. But the but the teams couldn't agree on a price to get Russell to Minnesota, so the trade broke down. But today they decided to make the trade away from the Atlanta Atlanta Hawks and the Houston Rockets. And now D'Angelo Russell will be headed to Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns, and from Minnesota, trying to make I guess trying to make a season saving move here. I mean they've lost 13 straight ball games. Going to be tough in that West, especially at this point where they're 10 and a half games behind the Memphis Grizzlies for the eight seed. So really going to be a long, really a stretch that this could possibly be a season-saving move. But it definitely gives Minnesota something to look forward to in the future. They did have, have the playoff appearance a few years ago with Jimmy Butler. They finally decided to pass on Andrew. They decided to let Andrew Wiggins walk as they've sent him to Golden State. And now Andrew Wiggins actually could be a good fit in Golden State, talking about next year when they get back to their full complement of players with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, someone who this year has improved his play, has Andrew Wiggins. Even if you heard my All-Star report last week, I thought he was a guy that you could have listed as a snub this year, averaging 22 points, five rebounds, and three assists from Minnesota. But now he's headed to the Bay Area. D'Angelo Russell is headed here to the – to the Midwest as he's going to Minnesota. And I really look forward to seeing what the uh, Timberwolves can do with Russell and Carl Anthony Towns as their core for the future. And also looking forward to seeing what the Warriors can do with Curry, Klay Thompson, and uh, Andrew Wiggins when they get, if they can get fully healthy come next season out there in that uh, new building, the uh, Chase Center, which is built on the uh, other side of the Bay. You know, they used to play in Oakland. They played in Oakland for so many years. Now they're playing in uh, San Francisco. The thing with Andrew Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins next season, he is signed until 2023. He's going to make $29 million next season, 31 the year after that, and then 33. So a big contract dump, really, by the Minnesota Timberwolves as they get rid of – they send Wiggins – out to uh, Golden State. Now they get D'Angelo Russell. And D'Angelo Russell himself, a $117 million deal. He's still on the books until 2023. Going to make $28 million next year, 30 the year after that, and then $31 million. So a lot of money changed there for Russell and Wiggins. A shocking, a deal that sort of shocked me today, Andre Drummond was traded from the Pistons to the Cavaliers, an in-division trade. And Andre Drummond... Recently, now, the reason why I've had some pauses here because there was an alert that I got that Andre Drummond tweeted no no loyalty in the NBA because Andre Drummond was adamant that he wanted to stay with the Detroit Pistons. They were trying to trade him to Atlanta. 
and because they remember there was rumors that he could go to the Hawks, and he and that was because Atlanta was his preferred destination. Instead, he was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and here is what Andre Drummond had to say today on Twitter, and in quote, if there's one thing I learned about the NBA, there's no friends or loyalty. I've given my heart and soul to the Pistons, and to be have this happen with no heads up makes me realize even more that this is just a business. I love Detroit, dot, 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 end quote for Andre Drummond. And he has said that a number of times. He did, he has said that he's lo- he loves Detroit. He loves playing for the Pistons. That's the only franchise he re- he's known, so he wanted to stay there. But he was he was dealt to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which which really will built sort of what he had in Detroit when they had a healthy Blake Griffin. It would be Andre Drummond and uh, Kevin Love in the front court in Cleveland to go with that backcourt of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. So on the floor, that could be a f- good fit for Cleveland moving forward. But in return, the Pistons got Brandon Knight, John Henson, and the 2023 second-round pick from the Cavaliers. Detroit was a team I thought could be a top-five uh, team in the East this year. But instead, Detroit has been one of the top teams in the league in man games missed. And, uh, I, and they don't they don't have Blake Griffin anymore. He's out with an injury. Reggie Jackson's been out all year. Derrick Rose, Derrick Rose shockingly stayed put during his deadline. I thought Philly might go get him. But Philly ended up making a trade to go get Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third of the Golden State Warriors. And then, and then on top of that, uh, Philly traded James Ennis. And Derrick, Derrick Rose stayed put in Philly. Or he stayed put in Detroit, and but just Detroit also didn't trade Luke Kennard, who was in. They were in talks about trading him to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, Detroit really like with all the man games missed. I mean, I had them to be a top five team in the East, but all the injuries really got to them this year. Now they trade away Andre Drummond. It looks like Detroit's really just going to try to start from scratch moving forward. But it really threw me off that they traded to Cleveland. Like, why did why did they trade him in division? You know, <laughs> I was thinking if they were going to trade him, trade him to like Atlanta, a team that really can't hurt him right now. Because Detroit, even with all the injuries, they're 10th in the East. So they're 10th in the East. They're only four games back of the 8th seed Magic. So I thought maybe if they would have made some moves to bring some people in that would have fit more with Rose, fit more with Drummond, I thought they probably could have made a run to the playoffs. But instead, Andre Drummond is now headed to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I mentioned the Philadelphia 76ers. They traded James Ennis. They traded him for a second-round pick from the Orlando Magic. And then also Philadelphia yesterday traded um, traded the 2020 second-round pick from Dallas, 21 second-round pick from Denver, and the 2022 pick they got from Toronto in exchange for Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III. And when I saw that trade, that uh, now that occurred last night. When I saw that, that told me, you know what, this is a product of them probably not getting Derrick Rose. And the reason why, because Derrick Rose also, just like Andre Drummond, said he liked Detroit. He wanted to stay with. He wanted to stay in Detroit, and that's exactly what happened. He stays with the Pistons, and as a result, it looked like Philly went elsewhere, and they got Glenn Robinson the third, and they got Alec Burks, so two wing players that can really help a Philadelphia bench that has been struggling. Furkan, like I mentioned before, Furkan Korkmaz, the outside shooter, has been one of their uh, better bench players this year. So now they get guys. Like Glenn Robinson III, who's very athletic, has had some games this year where he has really been the driving force of the Warriors' offense. Now he's headed to Philadelphia to help a team that really needs scoring on that second unit when you're talking about a starting lineup that has Ben Simmons, who is known to be struggling from the outside, and then they have Joel Embiid inside 
as the inside presence, and then they have Al Horford and Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson. Now, now you can see a lot of different combinations with Philadelphia moving forward to get athleticism, to get some better shooting on the floor, which they get with Glenn Robinson and also with Furcon Corkmoss, who they already have. So Philadelphia now with a chance to maneuver some pieces to really help them uh, make some changes and make a run in the Eastern Conference. Uh, when I did the post-game report on Tuesday, I, ha I mentioned a big trade. At the time, I thought it was a three-team deal, but that, that was since changed. It was a four-team trade when it happened, and that was with Clint Capella getting traded to the Atlanta Hawks, along with Nene, who has since been waived from the Houston Rockets. The trade also involved Denver, the Denver Nuggets, who got Gerald Green from the Rockets. The Minnesota Timberwolves were involved. And so here is the official trade. Here, I'll run this down in order. Clint Capella and Nene from Houston to Atlanta. The Denver Nuggets ended up with Gerald Green from Houston, Kata Bates-Diop, Shabazz Napier, and Noah Vonler from Minnesota, and Houston's 2020 first-round pick. Since that trade, Shabazz Napier has been traded to the Washington Wizards in exchange for Jordan McRae. And that's actually kind of huge for Windy City because, remember, the Windy City Bulls have a – working relationship with the Denver Nuggets for assigning G players to the G League since Denver doesn't have their own G League team. If Jordan McRae is assigned, very well, very possible that he could be assigned to the Windy City Bulls at some point. For the uh, Houston Rockets, they acquired Robert Covington, who is the last active piece Minnesota had of the Jimmy Butler deal. So I'm going to let the Chicago Bull fan in me come out real quick and say that the Bulls won the Jimmy Butler trade <laughs> as of right now with Zach Levine and Lowry Market and Chris Dunn. And it all netted Minnesota, pretty much all Minnesota netted out of that trade a few seasons later is Jared Cover, who they traded, who they got in the draft in exchange for Dario Saric. Uh, also in the deal was uh, Jordan Bell, another former another former Chicago Bull reference here. Remember, Mr. the guy that called himself Cash Considerations. He got traded for Cash Considerations by the Bulls, ended up to win a title with the Warriors. He ended up going to Minnesota, but he, too, did not stay. He ended up being traded to Memphis in exchange for Bruno Caboclo. So the Rockets got Jordan Bell and then sent them to Memphis for Bruno Caboclo. For Bruno Caboclo. And I understand why they did that, and I'll talk about that in a moment after I finish running down the trade. The Rockets also got a 2020 second-round pick from Atlanta, Minnesota, in the deal, got Malik Beasley from the Denver Nuggets. The writings were on the wall for him because of the way Michael Porter Jr. has been playing this season. He had been rumored to be in trade talks all year. Joining him in Minnesota is probably my favorite name in the NBA, Wancho Hernan Gomez from Denver to Minnesota. Minnesota also added Evan Turner from Atlanta. Jared Vanderbilt, remember I mentioned he was likely won't be making any more appearances in Windy City. This is why, because he was traded to Minnesota. And then Minnesota also... Added the 2020 first round pick of the Atlanta Hawks from the from the Brooklyn Nets. So in recap, the Atlanta Hawks got Clint Capella and Nene from Houston. Denver got Gerald Green, Kata Bates Diop, Shabazz Napier, Noah Vonla, and Houston's 2020 first round pick. The Rockets added Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, and Atlanta's 2024 second round pick. And Minnesota got Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez along with Evan Turner, Jared Vanderbilt, and the 2020 first-round pick of Atlanta from Brooklyn. 
So a 14, 12-player, three-pick trade <laughs> that went down late on Tuesday. And obviously, the big name in this trade for me was Clint Capella. Uh, Clint Capella a four year, five, a f has four years left on a five-year, $90 million deal that he signed with Houston. And it was reported during the Super Bowl, actually, that w from uh, Adrian, Adrian Wojnarowski that multiple Eastern Conference teams were interested in Capella, including Atlanta, and Atlanta got their man. But the thing that stuck out to me the most was that it really didn't make sense for Houston to make that make this trade because because really I think they need Clint Capella. He's their glue guy. He's the big man. And I understand the Rockets have been playing a lot of the small ball this year, but Clint Capella has been the role man in that pick and roll offense for them. He's been their wild card, sort similar to what Draymond Green was for the Golden State Warriors in terms of he'll do the dirty work, hustling. He's got that motor, much like like I talked about with Daniel Gafford earlier. He's got that hot, that energy, that motor to go get rebounds. And for Houston in the playoffs, right now Houston currently fourth in the West, and as they're tied with the Utah Jazz, Utah will be their first-round opponent, and they have a big man in Rudy Gobert. And the Lakers are the top seed right now. If they they get past Utah, they're going to make face Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. And then also it's possible that with Denver being third, with how close everything is in the West right now with Denver, Houston, Utah, Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City, who are the teams that are three through six right now, there's a possibility that they could fall to six and have to play against Nikola Jokic. So for Houston, really going all in on the small ball, they do add defense and getting Robert Covington. But at the end of the day, I really I really thought that making this trade, getting rid of Clint Capella on the floor didn't really make sense. I understand what it, did, what it, was, it was made in terms of finances, but on the floor didn't really make a lot of sense because in that Western Conference, they're going to need Clint Capella's body to match up against some of the some of the bigger teams in the in the West. Also involved in that deal was Robert Covington to get his defense. Gerald Green was also involved. He's going to Denver, but he hasn't played this season with because he's been out with foot surgery. And then I mentioned earlier how Nene was involved in that trade. He went to Atlanta, who was also very active. Atlanta ended up waving Nene, as did they wave Chandler Parsons, and they made a separate deal adding Dwayne Denman back from the Sacramento Kings in exchange for Alex Lynn and Jabari Parker from the Sacramento Kings. Also, the Hawks added the 2021 and 2020 second-round picks from the Sacramento Kings. And in Atlanta, very active. They also added uh, Derek Walton Jr. from the Clippers for cash considerations. Atlanta, in total, managed to get $11 million off the books by adding Clint Capella and Dwayne Dedman and a lot of these guys. So they, so Atlanta really just trying to free up cap space. They also added Scott Labissier from Portland in exchange for for cash. Portland in return got $2 million. It was Labissier and cash to Atlanta for the $2 million that Portland ended up getting. And then I mentioned how Houston added uh, Bruno Caboclo from Memphis. Bruno Caboclo in the 2023 second-round pick from Memphis in exchange for Jordan Bell for a 2023 second-round pick. And now Memphis has gained the right to swap second-round picks with the Rockets in the 2023 second round, the second round of the 2023 draft, as long as Houston isn't picking 31st or 32nd in that draft. Uh, two more deals I'm going to go over here before I try to get out of here. I'm trying to speed through this so I can, <laughs> so I can get up out of here and go to the uh, UIC game that I'm going to be working tonight. But um, 
come in. There were two other deals. One of them was the Andre Iguodala trade. And honestly, this trade had to have set a record for man games missed in a season. There are a, there were there are over over 150 man games missed involved in this trade. But uh, here's the deal: the Memphis Grizzlies sent Andre Iguodala to the Miami Heat. Iguodala has missed 50 games. They sent Jay Crowder to Miami. He's missed five. Solomon Hill has missed three. Now all of all of Solomon Hill's misses missed games were DNPs, and they sent those in in exchange to Memphis. In exchange for Justice Winslow, who's missed 39 games with concu- with a concussion and a bone bruise in his back. Deion Waiters, who's been suspended for a, a number of times this season. And Gorgie Jang of, Memphis, of Minnesota is also going to Memphis. And he's missed four games. And James Johnson, he goes from Miami to Minnesota. He's missed 18 games. There's over 150 man games missed in this trade. Right now I got 155 here in my notes. But I'm trying to remember if I actually counted, like, the games last night where guys were traded, which is why they didn't play, because they were traded as a result of the trade. They didn't play as a result of the trade. So I can't, I can't remember if I, if I marked that in my notes before or after, <laughs> or if I, before or after the trade had been made, before or after the game had been played last night. But anyway, Iguodala is going to Miami Signed a two-year, $30 million sign-and-trade extension with a 2021 team option. And then on top of that, Memphis, after the trade, ended up getting Dylan Brooks. They signed a three-year, $35 million extension with him to stay with Memphis. So likely going to make him and John Morant the backcourt of the future. They're at the FedEx Forum. And they add Justice Winslow, who is another guy that's versatile. He can handle the ball. He can... He can get his own shot, but he's been out all year. We'd love to see that Memphis team when they get better, but Memphis finally got Andre Iguodala off the books, and it led to that big Twitter back and back and forth we've been seeing with John Morant and Steph Curry. And I'm not going to get too deep into it because I'm sort of pressed for time, but I really admire John Morant's uh, spirit, man. Not, not backing down, man. Not backing down from the veteran Steph Curry, saying, look, man, I admire him, I love him, but but I'm not afraid of him. And I feel – and I – I absolutely admire that about John Morant. Still speaking his mind, going after uh, Steph Curry there, after Curry and uh, Curry heard what he and Dylan Brooks had to say about how they want to see um, Andre Iguodala, uh, Andre Iguodala, going from Memphis so they can actually play against him. And now he's headed to Miami, which strengthens the wing defense that the Heat have had this year. With uh, with they already have Jimmy Butler, now they get Iguodala. It'll be interesting to see how Iguodala looks on the floor after having been out all season because obviously didn't want to play for the Memphis Grizzlies. And the uh, last trade I'm going to get to here because this was the last one that came in sort of went out of order with a lot of these deals. I sort of, I gave you one, you guys one big one and then I kind of tried to gloss over some of these, but the one, the last trade that went down was another three team deal, which saw the Clippers get Marcus Moore senior and Isaiah Thomas and as you heard me say earlier, when I got that alert on my phone from Bleacher Report that Isaiah Thomas will not be kept. So the Clippers will not keep Isaiah Thomas. And then the Knicks got Mo Harkless and his 2021st round pick. And the Wizards got Jerome Robinson from the Clippers. So the Clippers add Marcus Moore Sr. from the Knicks. They add Isaiah Thomas from the Wizards, who they will not, who they supposedly will not keep. The Knicks get Mo Harkless from the Clippers in the 2020 first round pick. And then the Wizards got the 
They got Jerome Robinson from the Clippers, and that was a huge trade for the Clippers because now they add a four. They get Marcus Moore Sr., and that also helps the Knicks sort of sort of space out what they have on the floor. They no longer have that many power. They, they, they take one of those power forwards and move them. So now you got Bobby Portis and Julius Randle and Taj Gibson. They add Mo Harkless, who is who can play the four, but I always look at Mo Harkless as more of a three, so, sort of like with Bruce Bowen in San Antonio, more of a corner specialist shooter. And then Jerome Robinson, he goes to the Wizards after the Wizards traded uh, Jordan McRae in exchange for Shabazz Napier to replace the loss of Isaiah Thomas. But now with him going into the free agent, going into free agency, it is possible he could return to the Washington Wizards. And looking at looking at the deals as a whole today, I thought Houston Houston I thought made some of the more interesting deals. And, you know, trading Clinton Capella, trying to get Robert Covington, so they did add more shooting, more spacing on the floor. But I still thought that that was their interior anchor on the defensive end. Also, it was their their role man in the pick and roll, their glue guy, their wild card. I thought they probably should have kept him. I think the Clippers got better with Marcus Moore Sr. If I had to pick a winner, I would think that the Hawks did a good job of unloading contracts. Now that they have a chance to make something happen moving forward, adding Trey Young, adding uh, Clint Capella to go with Trey Young, I should say, in the pick and roll offense. So now it doesn't just have to be the Trey Young shooting show. You got John Collins, who they are, they already have John Collins who I think they wanted to try to unload but were unsuccessful in doing so. They added Dwayne Deadman. That one didn't really make sense to me because they ended up they they added him after they got Capella, but clearly that was just a that was just a money trade for the Atlanta Hawks. And then also the most head scratching deal to me was the uh, Cavaliers and the Pistons deal. Didn't expect Andre Drummond to go to Cleveland. Didn't expect to trade to trade him in division. And then some of the teams that shocked me by staying staying with where they were. The Lakers didn't make a move. There was a rumor that the Lakers were talking about trading Kyle Kuzma. That didn't happen. I was shocked to see the Bulls. The Bulls, well, really wasn't. Sh- I wasn't shocked to see. I wasn't shocked to see the Bulls not make a move. But the Bulls did keep Thaddeus Young. I mean, I figured the injuries were going to keep them from making a trade. But I still thought some teams would inquire about Thaddeus Young. But once Marcus Morris got traded to the Clippers, that pretty much eliminated that. And then Iguodala to Miami. I was actually shocked to see that see that trade go down. Remember, the Lakers had been inquiring about Andre Iguodala. But really the thing about that trade is there's so many injured players, so many guys that have, have so many man games missed involved in that trade. But now the trade, line has, trade deadline has passed. Teams have made moves, and now we'll see the fun begins. The fun begins, and we'll see how this affects the stretch run of the NBA playoffs. Also now, teams will be turning their attention to the buyout market. What are the Rockets going to do for a big man? Are they going to stick with Bruno Caboclo and, and Robert Covington and have P.J. To- PJ Tucker play that uh play at the five this season? We'll, we'll find out. What are the Lakers going to do? Are they going to be active on the buyout market? How will Marcus Morris help the Clippers cut into that three-game gap in the for the top seed in the West behind the Lakers? Did Philly get enough bench help? Boston was rumored to try to make a move for a big man. They were talking to Detroit about Christian Wood, but Detroit turned that deal down. How will that affect Boston moving forward? We'll find out. It's another year of the NBA trade deadline has passed, and now the fun begins here on February the 6th. All-Star Weekend is next week. 
here in Chicago, and I will be covering some of that for you guys here on the Windy City Hoops podcast. I have more. I have more information on what I'm going to do next week with covering All Star Weekend. Also, the Chicago Bulls tonight play the New Orleans Pelicans. No post game report because I won't be home for it. Because once I finish this recording, I'm going to UIC, and I can't cover a game that I didn't see. So, and I don't want to, and I won't be home. Really, won't be home to cover it tomorrow because we've got Windy City games on Friday, Saturday, and then we're off. We're off Sunday, and then right back at it Monday. So a lot of Windy City games in these next few days. So you guys likely will hear from me on Sunday when the Bulls play the Sixers. I'll probably do a post-game report on that one. And then next week, the Bulls play the Wizards on Tuesday in Washington. Likely, So you'll likely get post-game reports on both of those games. And then next week, next Wednesday, you guys will get a full episode of the Windy City Hoops podcast. Not really sure when I'll record it because I have a lot going on. I could possibly end up recording the full episode next Tuesday because I'm actually working some events from Wednesday through Friday. Your Wednesday, Wednesday, your Wednesday and Thursday, and then I'll have some plans to cover All-Star Weekend on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'll go into that a little bit more in depth next week. So expect, so once again, expect the post-game report on Bulls Sixers on Sunday, Bulls Wizards on Tuesday, and maybe the full episode of the Windy City Hoops podcast. So episode 19, maybe I may balance it out. This week we had to push the full episode to Thursday. Next week I might push it up to Tuesday. So be on the lookout here. Watch the Windy City Hoops podcast feed wherever you listen to this podcast. Remember the Windy City Hoops podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, among other platforms. You can follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at KingRouse21, K-I-N-G-R-O-U-S-E 21. And that will do it for episode 18 of the Windy City Hoops podcast. I got to get out of here. I'm trying to, not trying to talk fast, but I got to get out of here. And once again, this has been episode 18 of the Windy City Hoops podcast for Thursday, February the 6th, 2020. You guys will hear from me on Sunday. You guys, until then, have a good time. Have a good one.